0: And I just want to say, I'm sorry that we haven't been as consistent with our podcast. I've been traveling. I've been out there. I've been in a couple of different continents working with salespeople, attending some conferences, catching up with old friends. because we haven't been able to travel for such a long time, I thought I'd get back out there, and it was incredible. and it's it's allowed me to really come back with a strong sense of what's possible and this last quarter is going to be a banging quarter and I hope you're also feeling that energy that this last quarter for the calendar year is going to be a great quarter for you but you might be saying hang on Luigi you're saying the last quarter is going to be incredible people are losing their jobs we're seeing you know all this negative news the market's getting a bit tighter. How can I be excited about the next quarter, about the last quarter of this calendar year? And you know what? I have asked myself that question. I'm like, you know, how can I look at the positive when there are certain negatives happening? And what I loved about the trip that I went away is it really made me feel and made me recognize once again that there are so many things that we can control. If we focus on what we can't control, it will ultimately impact our performance. And yes, in a world where things might be getting tougher, there is still an abundance of opportunity out there if you make a choice to go out there and chase it. And that's why I'm excited to share this week's episode because we are going to talk about a few different tangents and talk a little bit about rethinking, rewiring, being more intentional about the way in which we go to market. And I'm going to record a solo episode this weekend and put out next week, we might put out a couple of episodes just to catch up, just to make sure we're giving you the content that you need to be the best you can be But I'm going to talk a little bit about when times start to get tough. You know, it can make things harder for you from a sales perspective. But this is where, and this is why I want to record an episode for you and and put some content out there around this particular topic. You know, selling in tough times, for example, is because this is where your intentions are really, really important. Doubling down on the fundamentals and getting the basics in in place is what's going to help you work through any challenging environment right so we won't go too much detail today but I'm, i'm just letting you know i will put this out there next week This podcast is brought to you by the Create Pipeline program from SalesIQ Global. This program will equip you with the skills, tools, and confidence to run an outbound strategy so you can generate more qualified opportunities and close more deals. Hear what Ellis from DocuSign has been able to achieve since joining the program and our incredible community. So my name's Ellis, and I work at DocuSign as an EBR. And the the reason I started SalesIQ was because... I really needed that that guidance and that training to make sure that the outreach that I was doing was hitting the nail on the head. So I was lucky enough to, to start the program early on in in this role, and um, since then I've been pretty successful, and last quarter I finished on 185%, so I have, have seen some huge results by adopting the principles. Our next cohort is starting soon, so to learn more, go to www.salesiqglobal.com, Or if you have a team of sellers, talk to us about our in-house offering. Control your pipeline, control your destiny with Sales IQ. With regards to this week's episode, we have Nicholas Thicket. We go on a bit of a tangent. We go we cross over a couple of different topics, but Nicholas is a great thought leader. He puts out a lot of great content. He really does help you rethink the way in which you position your mindset and the way in which you approach sales. So again, for me, the reason why this is such a great episode is because as we are embarking on the last few months of 2022 and there is so much uncertainty, repositioning the way we think, being more intentional with how we approach things is absolutely fundamental. So get into this episode Take what you need, get your notes. Remember, any content with that application is simply entertainment. And as much as I would love to feel like I'm a great entertainer, there are many people that can entertain better than me. But I do know that this content, when taken on board, when executed, can deliver a material impact on your sales performance and help you in your path of being the very best you can be. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hey, thanks, Luigi. Mate, I'm pumped because obviously I have been on your show, which has been fantastic. But, mate, we both share a common love for gifts. So I'm really excited to have you <laughs> on the show and we'll talk a little bit about gifts <laughs> in a moment, how we use gifts in selling. But before we get into today's topic, and I think today's topic is... It's going to go a number of ways Nick I know it I don't even know what the topic is going to be because I think we're going to go down that many different paths but before we get into today's conversation could you just share with our listeners a bit more about who you are and how you started in the wacky world of selling like most sellers it was an accident but
1: it <laughs> honestly it was a nice happy accident unlike some of the stories i hear i was actually in a sporting goods store and i had played sports my entire life and funny enough there is a gentleman that was picking out shoes mm. and the seller had given some feedback. And I said, actually, you know, I based on what you said, I'd probably go with this. And I just made a suggestion. And so they started picking my brain, but it's because I tried them all on that I, that I knew yep. and I had actually wore them. And right on the spot, the gentleman offered me a job. It was the owner of the business that I was talking to. And that's how I broke into sales. And it was just Everything was a new fun challenge. I know this is why me and you get along so well, is we always have that challenge that drives us, that bigger mission. And so then I got into, I moved to a different city. I got offered a job selling PMO credit cards. I don't know why I did well. I'll be be honest. Like, I think the biggest thing I did is I showed up consistently and ready to work. And I ended up managing about 400 reps and being the area manager within a couple months. And then they capped my income and... It was time for me to leave. Worst thing you can ever do to a seller, right? Promise them the world and then take it away when they actually do well. I I ran an insurance business, failed miserably, and then recovered and actually sold the business after figuring out consultative selling. Got into investment banking, did M and A, did really well with selling. You know, our lowest transaction was forty million. Our highest was over two hundred. Wow. And. I loved it. It was the first time in sales that I felt really appreciated because <laughs> the people I was talking to, it was their baby yeah. that we were selling. Yeah. And they chose us to work with them because of our knowledge, because of the way I was talking, mm. like how I actually prospected into the account. Mm. And then I earned myself a all-inclusive hospital stay that rocked my entire world. I had a weird feeling. Yeah. And I quit. Mm. I don't, I can't even tell you what it was. I'd slept at the office to close a deal. I had a weird gut feeling and I decided to quit and within a week I was in the hospital. The first 3 days they didn't know if I was going to live or die cuz I had major organ failure and sleep deprivation. Yeah. And it was the worst and best moment of my life because mm. I got to choose what I did next and
0: how many people get to do that. Yeah. And I know and that's one of the stories about you that I I really do connect with right because I think and, and again, I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners, right? Because you know you hit a point and and do you mind maybe because I know your story right, but do you mind maybe sharing with our listeners, you know exactly what did happen around your burnout and 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 how it affected your health? Yeah, so in the environment I was working in,
1: you had to be there before the partners mm. and you had to leave after the partners. And so it wasn't uncommon for me to work sixteen plus hour days. Mm. And there was a lot of the time with the stress that was on us. And we didn't really make that much money unless we closed deals and we wouldn't, they're like an, they're a typical enterprise deal. They were six months to 24 months, depending on the size of the deal and the complexity and how much legal one to screw with us. Yeah. And we would go and work through these deals, but it started to wear at me and I started to work harder and I took it as a challenge. Like I'm tired, but who's not tired. I'm hungry, but who's not yeah. hungry. I'll just have more coffee. I'll just, and I, you don't realize you're wearing down. You don't realize you're not as sharp as you were. Yeah. You're like, you can't go and pull a conversation together as well. Mm. And it eats at you really, really slowly. And the problem was when I, even when I got out of the hospital, like that was a traumatic experience, them telling me if they didn't know if I was going to live or die because of the rate of my organ failure. But when I got out, I wasn't better. Mm. And there was the physical aspect and there was also the mental aspect of it yeah. too right because i don't think people realize when you wear yourself down you don't bounce right back
0: yeah it takes time to recover right so it took
1: about six to eight months for my body to recover wow. but mentally like they say i just actually saw a study that they just finished two months ago and they say that burno victims take three to five years to fully recover
0: wow i didn't know that and look and again this is not obviously the topic of our show but for today but I really do appreciate this and I think this also I think this is an important topic to talk about right because you know there is so much out there around the hustle mentality the 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 grinding mentality and look I'm very similar to you man I'm 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 not afraid to work hard <laughs> I've done I've done the sleeping at the office my PA, my EA used to bring me dinner because I would skip dinner and stuff and yeah, I always had that mentality of I've, I've got to do what needs to be done to get the job done, right, and I've got to do what yeah. the others aren't prepared to do. But like I think the, the, <laughs> there's a time to work hard but there's also a time to recognize that, hey, you know what, I've actually got to pull back for a moment. And you know what I've realized because this has been an ongoing battle for me for 20 years is that mm. it's actually better when you pull back and and this, I think this is going to relate, we can relate this to our conversation today around less technology, you know, from a from a prospecting perspective, less is more, because when you do pull back, even in a sale, right? And I think this 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 actually can be applied to so many things. When you pull back when you're working incredible long hours, and I've got a I've got a period over the next four weeks, I've got that period, right? I've got late nights and I've got early starts because I'm doing some stuff in multi time zones. I've got to recognize that, right, and I've got to balance it up because at the end of this period, (laughs) I could be suffering for a while, right? But I think it's important to know what you just said that sometimes when you do work that extra and you do pushing yourself beyond your limit, you actually become less productive. you actually the conversations that you have aren't as clear your pipeline, if it's in sales, it can affect big deals that you might have been working, you're on it and then you're off it and then all of a sudden the deal that you knew that was going to close is gone, right? And this is why I think sometimes less is more because when we do less from a work ethic perspective, we can actually produce more, right? So it's like prospecting. When I prospect to a smaller group, I spend more time researching, I give myself more of a chance by multi-threading all of a sudden the results I generate are far more than if I'm trying to just go, you know, manic, right? So I I, I do appreciate you sharing that with me and sharing it with us today. I'd just love to understand because you actually worked in a really interesting environment where you weren't just selling a business. You had two sales. You first had to get them to give you the remit to sell their business. Then you had to find a buyer and then you had to convince the current buyer to sell their business based on whatever things. Talk to us a bit about what you learned through proactively going out to get somebody to sell their baby and then trying to sell their baby to somebody else that might not have had that emotional connection to that business.
1: Where do you think I started? Do you think I started with the buyer or the seller? Look, that's you know what, now that you ask that question, I
0: think knowing you, I think you (laughs) would have started with the seller so that you could have then said, hey, or I potentially got a buyer. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, tell me. So originally I started
1: with big buyers. Okay. And they already had purchasing teams. They had very, they were very well staffed. Then I went after sellers, but nobody knew me.
0: Mm.
1: And so like when we were road warriors is how do you route into the account where you're recommended? And so one of the questions that actually started back then is who needs to know I exist in this company and what do they need to know before they'll book a meeting with me? Yeah. And ironically, what they needed to know is that instead of going for funding, I could bring a big player to the table that not only would give them funding but accelerate their growth faster than they could any other way. Mm. So I found a loophole cuz I was actually doing this in 2014 when the oil market crashed. Okay. And all the companies that were sitting on our shelf, they dropped in value from anywhere from 60 to 90% in less than 3 months. Wow. And so it's, it goes back to sales is just conversations and creativity. Mm. And so I started looking at ways I could repackage things that I could reframe things. And strategic buyers don't care necessarily if things are perfect, if the future you're selling aligns with what they're looking for. Mm. And so it taught me a lot about gap selling Yeah, and making sure I understood the future The biggest thing that I never considered in any of the other sales I did is how hard is it to get there? Yeah. Because what happens with a lot of mergers and acquisitions, the company buys or they merge and then they never see the benefit because they communicate differently. They have different styles of leadership and making decisions. And so what I actually had to do is I actually had to go in kind of go like covertly, like what Boston Consulting Group used to do. And I had to go and actually go on the floor and live and breathe with this company to really understand how they worked. Yeah. So when I was vetting, vetting buyers, that it felt natural. And it was the hardest thing I did. But what I learned in that process that you had talked about, not just a moment ago is you can't be too busy when you're doing yeah. that, or you miss things. And so any of the deals that went wrong, is because I rushed that part. And I was too eager to go and put buyers in front of them instead of
0: looking for the perfect fit. You know, well, there's so many ahas in this, right? You're going to a company that, like you said, that could have been their baby, right? They've never sold their company before, potentially. So they don't know what the process needs to look like. They don't know. There's so many things they absolutely don't know because they've never experienced it before. So you're not just contending with or you just you you weren't just contending with the fact that that I know but there's also that emotional issue or not the emotional issue but there's the emotion that's driving their behavior and potentially their reluctance or you know and as soon as emotion gets involved in the sales process we know that there's a lot of things that you just simply can't control how did you work through that
1: so there's a plot twist that I haven't mentioned yet <laughs>
0: All the best, all the best
1: transactions I ever had were businesses that didn't want to sell.
0: Oh wow. Why? Yeah. Well,
1: who who usually wants to sell their business? Someone that wants to take chips off the table mm. or is failing. Yeah. They're trying to get out before it's too late. Yeah. And so that was what was happening at this time. Is all the companies that were selling were worthless. And so I actually had to find companies that didn't want to sell because they were doing well, and I had to find hidden synergies with other companies that nobody else saw. Yeah. So it's like when you're doing like Challenger and like critical insights. <laughs> I had to find critical insights for these companies that they didn't see these, how things would bolt on and they could just hit the ground running and they'd be so much
0: stronger. So one plus one wasn't two, yeah. it was three or four or more. Yeah, So and, and you know what I also I'm loving about this is the future state, right? It's painting a vision and helping somebody see something that they probably weren't looking to see in the first place. Maybe, I'm, maybe I've maybe i completely stuffed that up, but I think you know where I'm going, right? Like, Yeah. And I think this is where a lot of sales opportunities really get stuck in the pipeline because we as a salesperson haven't really helped them see that future state in such a clear way With such incredible benefit that they're like, you know what, this is an absolute compelling reason for me to make a change. If you, you know, the fact that you've mentioned you were going to people that weren't essentially looking to sell their company and then you helped them sell their company, how did you help them see what tomorrow could look like?
1: I started to dive into where they wanted to go. Okay. And so, what is, I had to find the fastest way to get there, the fastest way to get to where they wanted to go. And sometimes it wasn't an acquisition. Sometimes it was them just seeking funding and growing naturally. Yeah. And so it was through conversations with different, I actually talking back, we're backstage. A lot of these conversations weren't with the business owner. They were with sellers on the floor. Yeah, They were with the marketing team. A lot of the times I talked to their banks and I'd ask what they originally sold them on for financing. How did they get that credit line? what was that revolving door? What did they sell you on? What did you, what made you believe in them? Mm. Okay. Where, where do you think they can be in three years? And so I would actually take that three year vision and I would like, where do you think you're going to be in 10 years? What if I can make that happen in three? Yeah. And so it was a lot of digging a lot. One of the things I noticed with a lot of sellers is they, they ask people where they want to go. People love to correct you when you're wrong. They don't like to tell you if they don't have to. Mm. But if you make a step, an educated stab at what you think they're where they're going. Hey, I saw this, this, and this. I'm guessing that you're probably going to want to go here. No, actually, Luigi, I didn't I yep. didn't actually want to go anywhere near there. And they'll open and I I've even seen, I think it was Chris Voss that even talked about yep. this. People love to
0: correct and they'll open up and tell you things that they should have never told you. Yeah. It'd be because again, and this is why I love like, I love all this conversation, right? And this is why I love the fact that you referenced Challenger and you referenced the insight, right? Because for me, that was my biggest takeaway, the fact that you're leveraging an insight because that kind of starts a conversation. You're either, you know, is this happening for you or how does this impact you right now? Well, it's not great. Do you mind sharing what is impacting you or where is it going for you or whatever it might be, right? And it can kind of start the conversation. So I love that. So, so it's really interesting to hear the fact that you were selling to people, that weren't necessarily in the market to sell, which when we look at today, if we look at it from a prospecting perspective, that's what we're doing, right? There's only 3% of the market that are actively looking, 40% that might be open to change and there's a big bunch bunch of people that aren't looking at all, right? And that's what Mm -hmm. prospecting is about. We're going out there, we're trying to engage with an audience and saying, hey, this is why we believe you should talk to us because of A, B, and C, right? So I love the fact that you can connect what you've been doing to today. What were some of the other big learnings for you? I know that you're really big on multi-threading and you've referenced it a little bit and in your current practice and what you do, you really help sellers understand the power of multi-threading through social. Can you talk a little bit about why multi-threading and engaging with people across the different platforms allows you to be known before they get to that point of decision? I think it, it's actually so much
1: simpler, simpler than people realize. As sellers, we are natural conversationists, and we should be good listeners. <laughs> yeah. What happens as you're talking to all these people is you're the one that hears the commonalities. Even though they're not saying the same thing, they're saying the same thing. Mm. You get to be the glue that naturally connects those things when they can't see it. Yeah. So when I was running synergies and looking for how these companies would bolt together, one of the things that they always asked me was, well, are they going to lay off my team or is everybody going to stay on? Because a lot of these companies, they were the main driver of a town. And so if I sold this company, I could kill a town. Yeah. Because this is before the day of remote work. Yeah. yeah, And so you actually had to go and have that conversation, line them up, set them up an email and basically get the people that weren't talking to have the same conversation be like hey you said this you said this you're basically you're actually saying the same thing Mm -hmm. so why don't we come together and have a bigger conversation and take this to the next
0: step yeah so that's pretty cool so you're using you're using the multi-thread you're using the different relationships that you're engaging with to find the alignment and then use that alignment to then bring consensus right or bring the conversation forward and sometimes people
1: are we've all had it where there's somebody that's untouchable. You yeah. just can't get them. Yeah. Right. And this is where social works so beautifully in this process. And b- b- back in the day and make myself sound old, <laughs> I had to do this old school. Yeah. And so social back in the day was gossip. Yeah. And so what I had to do is I had to talk to the secretaries. I had to go and talk to the mailboy. I had to talk to the people and I had to start a rumor and I'm not talking lies. I'm talking, insight Mm. hey did you know hey did you know and then it would spread with social we don't have to go to those levels of you know getting our way into the company we can put the message out there connect with the right people network in and swarm an account so everybody is starting to say the same thing what is more impressive that when you get a hold of the person that's untouchable or when you get referred in yeah and so it's just being really meaningful
0: with every action and doing less, but making everyone better. Yeah. But again, I think there's two things to what you're saying, right? The first thing is and and I'm not that old. Maybe I'm M old now because I just turned 40, right? But I did <laughs> I, I started selling in a time where we didn't have social. Um If I ever asked my boss for leads back in the day, he would have told me, go get another job because that's what I pay you to do. I did the door knocking both in B2C and B2B. I remember going to networking events. I remember calling people I know, hey, do you know somebody in that company? And, you know, what could I, like, you know all that stuff that we did, the research component, the reading reports, the, man, I just think for me, that has what's allowed me to become the seller I am today because I had to go through those moments of research. I had to go and look in places and find fucking nothing and go, man, what a waste of time this has been. But it hasn't been a waste of time because I've learned I But do you know what I mean? Like there was that – I used to call it like you kind of pick up a rock, look underneath, and nothing there, pick up – and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, I've just found something. You know, you know, we can – now we know where it's called prospecting, right? But for me, I go, that's, that's helped me become the resilient seller. And I think one of the challenges in modern selling is that a lot of – New reps, especially, haven't gone through that exercise. And, you know, if you think today, click a button, I've got their mobile number. Click a button, it's in my CRM. Click a button, I'm in LinkedIn. I've got, and now I've got all the insight and Crunchbase and funding. And it, my God, mate, within five minutes, I've got all this information. It would have taken me hours to do, right? But I think the fact that it's become so easy, we've become to potentially sometimes a bit lazy in what you've just said, right? Instead of going, hang on, before I actually pick up the phone, let me think about the entire audience that needs to know me. Let me think about why they need to know me. Let me think about what would be the compelling reason that they would want to reach out to me or refer me in. And now that I've done that, I'm going to start the process of engaging with them. And that for me, that's just strategic thinking from a sales perspective versus transactional, I just need to hit my number, I just need to make the call, I just need to book a meeting Like because my pipeline, my boss is on my case, I need to hit my... Like, do you know what I mean? There's absolutely two different things yeah. to that, right? So, you know, again, I think there's there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff that we can take away from the conversation that we're having right now. Do you mind also sharing with me and sharing with our listeners a little bit about, you know, the way in which you start to create... The engagement with people like if you've got an account, you've got right, there's seven or eight people I need to start building a relationship. Share the tactic that goes behind you starting to reach out to them and actually getting them into the relationship funnel. This is,
1: I honestly think this is the hardest part. And going back, like th- thank you, Luigi, for talking about like it. I honestly think account research mm. is what changed the whole dynamic because when we did that manually, we connected the dots. And we could see how it all aligned. But when you don't do the work and you're just seeing it, you're a, it's an it's an object. Yeah. We're objectifying our prospects. They're just an object we're calling. And the problem is when you do that, it leaves them asking, so what?
0: Mm.
1: Hey, we're the best, we're amazing, you should want to buy for us. So what? Yeah. But when we did the research, you're like, hey, I saw this yeah. and you know, it led me to thinking this. Interested in talking more? Yeah, you're right. No, actually, we were just talking. Mm. Because what you've done is you've done the hard work of thinking with them, yeah. thinking for them. And I think that's what got lost is that we had a hypothesis in our head. And so all our questions were very quickly right or wrong. And how how I used to go about this is I used to actually start with workflows. And so I would really focus on like knowing the industry, knowing the account and then knowing the personas and knowing whose workflow is the one that was had the most pain today? Yeah. Who had the most frequent pain, who had the biggest pain and didn't realize how much it was costing them or the company. And I would start low. Yeah. Sometimes I would start in the middle and I would go and expand out, but not usually Usually you start low. And what you're doing is I would do all my fact gathering with these people that were boots on the ground, doing the hard work And figure out where things were going wrong. What was on their wish list? Yeah. What, what are they being judged on? And then what I would do is I would look at those KPIs and be like, okay. And I'd make a guess knowing, you know, by talking to however many VP of sales or sales managers, you're probably judged on this. Mm. And I would follow who would get the call in the middle of night when something went wrong. And so all sales is, is pain and gain, right? So And B2B, the biggest driver is loss. Yeah. What are they losing, but they don't realize, but it all comes from workflow. Yeah. The other thing is regulation, but they know that. So you have to connect those dots on the workflow and bring up those conversations. And so sometimes it was sales. Sales is always a great place to start. Even now, every salesperson's on social and they love to talk. Network with your fellow sellers, work your way in but from sellers what department will your work or your product disrupt the most why how much and like it goes down to why change why now how much how much do you actually have to change to see that result
0: yeah. is it realistic <laughs> how long is it going to take and is it worth is it worth it because i think that's the biggest one right like i go they've seen the problem they're like i can see the problem but you know what me changing, it's actually going to be more painful than the problem. So I'll just stay with same, right? We see this yeah. all the time is they're saying, you know what, yep, the fire's burning, but I can manage the fire burning and I'm happy with what we're losing because if I've got to change, it's going to be, you know what, I've got this, I've got that, I've got John, he's going to be a pain in the ass. I've got, <laughs> you know, there's all these things going to happen and we see this a lot, right? And this is why I love Jen Allen and, and what Jen Allen talks about around the status quo, mm-hmm. you know, she, she, yeah. So, I think this has been an awesome episode, Nick. And, and you know, what well, me and you could talk about this f- for ages. But there is one thing I know we've only got a couple of minutes left. But there's one thing I need to make sure we talk about, right? Because the power of the gif, yeah. And I think, oh yes. <laughs> in in a world where it can, the sea of sameness, I think, can often happen. Right? People are getting emails. They're getting, you know, a good vidyard video, but. For me, my and you know what, salespeople are great at breaking shit, right? So I hope the world just doesn't take the gifts, but I love gifts, man. I send gifts to my kids. I send gifts to my girlfriend. I send gifts to kind of send gifts to everyone, man. I'm I'm a gift guy, and sales, I'm big on sending gifts in my outreach process. Even when I've engaged with them and they've booked a meeting, I'm like, I send them a you know a hell yeah gift. Yeah. Like, are you using gifts in your process, man? And how is it helping you? So our brains actually
1: interpret visuals faster than words. Words are actually really foreign for our brains to to actually pick up. And so it takes, that's why sometimes when you send a written document, it's so painful (laughs) that people won't read it or those like old marketing emails you would just ignore. The thing that gets captured in a visual is emotion.
0: Mm.
1: And so a lot of the time when we talk about empathy, it's not a matter of just feeling what's going on, but it's be able to go and carry that emotion and move the conversation the thing I love about gifts is you can set the tone. Mm. Mm. And so I can say, Hey, and I can make it like, Hey, and like have that dark tone and like tell them something <laughs> that's like, I actually just went and found that. You know what yeah. I mean? Cause it's like a buffer, but because it, it's not what people normally do and they can't hear my voice in a DM, I can set the tone. And so they know how I'm talking. So it adds that additional element mm. to text Yeah, and, or like, Hey and like you're really excited <laughs> and then I'll crack a joke or but you know it makes yeah. you stand out because they don't expect it. Mm. And unlike most written communication, there's an actual emotion and a tone tied to it. Same reason why when you send video me- or voice messages they work so yeah. well. They hear
0: your voice because I can hear it. It's a human they connect with it. And you know what? I think that's a perfect way to wrap up our show because and again, moving into that could be a great another topic for us to talk chat about is The human connection is absolutely needed now more than ever before in a world where sales engagement platforms, technology, Martech, everybody's being overwhelmed. The human, adding the human and the emotion to the process because we know that people buy you before they buy your company. So, mate, I think this has been, there's been so many tactical and strategic takeaways for our audience today. Nick, I just want to say thanks so much. But before we let you go, and we'll make sure we put into the show notes, where is the best place for people to find and engage with you?
1: Best place, hands down, is LinkedIn. Yeah. And a close second is (laughs) b2bpowerhour.com.
0: Awesome. And uh, And we'll make sure we share that.
1: Make sure, you guys, if you're not already following Luigi, you got to follow Luigi because he posts bomb content. (laughs) And and if you haven't connected (laughs) with him, you need to ask him, what gif did he use to close a deal? (laughs) Because...
0: I haven't quite got that information over yet, and it's bugging. It's sharing me. tomorrow, we're gonna. To oh well, by the time this goes live, I'll, I'll already be shared But yeah, we'll absolutely share it. We've had the poll going, so that's gonna be awesome. But Nick, man, I just want to say, mate, you know, I've been, I've, I've loved since we got connected for a mutual friend. I've really enjoyed your content, your podcast, the contribution you make to our community. I love it, man. So thank you very much for doing what you do. It's not easy putting a podcast. It's not easy creating content. To try to help our sales profession elevate to be the best sellers can be, man. So I just want to say thanks for the contribution you make, and thanks for coming on to the podcast.
1: That means a lot. You do a lot for the community, and to hear you say that, that means that means everything. Thanks, Luigi. I really appreciate it.